Thank you all for listening into the latest edition of Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. We will be discussing the very topical issue of active equity manager performance. While it can't be described as unprecedented, it has been several decades since the global economy has experienced an inflation shock of the current magnitude. Post-COVID supply constraints, rising interest rates, and the current energy price shock have created an economic backdrop that is unexplored territory for most of those currently working in the investment profession. My name is Gareth Anderson, and I sit with the Mercer's Equity Manager Research Team. I'm delighted to be joined by two of my very long-standing colleagues, Victoria Goh and Suzanne Lubber, to discuss how the current macro environment has impacted investors' equity portfolios. Suzanne, the last 12 months has come is, is, is a real shock to, to many of us. I mean, how, can you talk us through um, how active managers have been faring in these troubled times? Well, in a word, they've struggled. Uh, the median manager in almost every one of Mercer's core equity universes has lagged their respective benchmark over the first quarter of 2022. And in some cases, that is so bad as to make the 12-month numbers to the end of March 2022 negative. So let me put it in perspective by giving you an example of global equity, where the top quartile manager underperformed the benchmark over the 12 months to 31 March. So that's something that's not happened in the 20 years or so years of, over which we have data. Um, and, and those that did perform in Q1 and so over the 12 months are, are underperformed actually in the prior three years. So it's a different cohort. Um, so the backdrop you paint has something to do with that. An example is the MSCI World Sector Index for energy underperformed the, the broader MSCI World Index by 17% per annum for the three-year period to 31 December 2021, but outperformed by 36% in the first quarter of 2022. So you can see the stark reversal. I mean, elsewhere, the, the significant underperformance of emerging markets lagging developed by some 20% over the 12 months to 31 March, and the continued outperformance of the U.S., now about 70% of the MSCI world benchmark. These also impacted managers' relative numbers. For global managers who are used to a pretty diversified index, this US concentration, and then having Apple at a greater weight than all but two of the countries in the index, um, it's been a significant headwind. And Victoria, that must be felt even more so in the US. You're right, Suzanne. From a US perspective, the Russell 1000 Growth Index's concentration in a handful of mega cap names have been a key headwind for active management. The incredible run-up of these names drove the index concentration to record levels, um, resulting in an index that has been very hard to beat in the last decade. By March of this year, about 40% of the index is represented in Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, and Alphabet. And those five names delivered 74% of the index's return during the quarter. And if you look at Apple and Microsoft alone, both represents 11% each within the index, making it structurally difficult for active managers to overweight and effectively express an active conviction. As a result, many active managers have been underweight these names, and that has been a huge source of relative underperformance. That benchmark concentration, I really wonder though, like, does it reverse? At what point does it reverse? Like the law of large numbers suggests the US can't continue to grow and become all of the global equity benchmark. 
But equally, the MSCI US index has outperformed the MSCI world index in like eight of the last 10 calendar years. So is it that companies that dominate the index now can continue to do so because they're bigger, because for them, bigger is actually better in terms of their business models and the network effects? Or surely some level of normality must return. Please say yes. Well, I mean, since I've been since I've been working um, in the investment industry, uh, I think the, the US market's been sort of at least fifty percent, or sort of late forties and higher. And I've certainly been betting on on that going down. Um, mm. It's fair to say I've been uh, horribly wrong in the last sort of fifteen to twenty years. Um, Victoria, we. What happened in kind of the, the last period of time where we, we went through sort of the the tech bubble in the two thousands? What happened when we when we experienced this sort of concentration event in the US? Well, the last concentration peak in the index happened back in two thousand. I mean, using Bloomberg, Russell, and Mercer's data, you know, when you look at the initial twenty percent drawdown that took place from June to November two thousand that somewhat lessened the concentration of the index. And when that happened, active management did well, while the index did poorly and ranked in the bottom quartile of Mercer's large cap growth universe. The one difference to note is that we have a rising interest rate environment now versus a falling rate environment then. And so the key here is that historically, the low interest rate environment has been a tailwind for multiple expansion in long duration assets, and that has now reversed. If history were to repeat itself, then the lessening of concentration in the index would be favorable for active management. That is very pleasing to my ears. So uh, it's it's been a painful time for many in in, in active management recently. So so I guess you've spoken, both of you, around sort of global in the US. Um, what about active management and its performance in, in other regions, such as the UK, uh, where Suzanne and I are, are based, um, uh, or other regions such as such as Europe? Yeah, it's been really tough there too, um, specifically in the UK. Uh, so in part, that's because relative to a global opportunity set, the UK market is quite value biased. And it's dominated by oil mining companies and banks, which make up about 40% of the index. And there were huge dispersions between different parts of the market um, for the UK in in the UK over the first quarter. So the FTSE 100 delivered a return of plus 2.9% for Q1 2022, while the FTSE 250 dropped by 9.5% over the same period. Um, again, huge dispersions in sectors, energy and materials were up 48.5% and 31.7% respectively, while tech and consumer discretionary fell by 3.7% for tech and consumer discretionary 8.1%. So you can see there's these, this huge um, variation in returns from sectors. And and just from the FTSE 100, FTSE 250, most managers have a skew away from the dominant names in the index and away from the FTSE 100. And that certainly hurt over the quarter and over the one year to the end of March. Now for Europe, um, we have different universes and different mandates and there's different ways that asset owners like to cut up the, the European market in terms of the mandate. So a lot of Europe, European performance was around, did the mandate include the UK or not? So if it did, it struggled. 
So pan-Europe, uh, including the UK, um, struggled uh, for active strategies, whereas generally active strategies that focus on Eurozone or Europe ex-UK did better. But I just want to come back to this whole thing around the outperformance of energy, if I may, Gareth. Um, Please do. Because I, know, it's so... I know you've got some very strong views on, on that, which, uh, <laughs> well, which, which, which we've discussed and debated, and, and, and I feel very much the same way. You, you could have stopped at strong views, um, but yeah. yes, you're quite right. And, and look, it's very significant for the UK because it's such a large exposure in the index, and, um, but it's also notable on a global basis and the, fact, the huge performance of, of energy over the quarter. Now, as Mercer, we've been talking for some time about ESG and specifically stewarding for climate change. Now, and some portfolios have chosen to do that by being underweight to fossil fuels. Um, that's made an impact this quarter. And, and I think it would be remiss of us not to note that. I mean, it's not the only reason why some portfolios are underweight. It's um, obviously sometimes it's, it's against the um, investment approach. Also, energy has typically um, underdelivered, uh, like I said earlier, you know, underperformed 17% per annum. It's quite a, a lag, but also it's been really volatile and, and the future of fossil fuels and energy, like what does that look like? Um, so it's absolutely the right thing to do is to think about climate change in portfolios and to think about kind of energy um, in the context of those different elements, um, but also to recognize that it's going to hurt in the short term. And the extent of the pain is in part what, what's been behind our message about stewarding for the transition, the idea of engaging, not simply divesting, so that you're kind of short uh, an area of the market for um, for reasons other than investment return. I mean, that and obviously making real economy changes um, by engaging rather than simply sanitizing portfolios by divesting. Yeah, and, and we've actually seen a small number of managers really trying to, to do the right thing, setting up very clear engagement and stewardship programs to, to do the right thing, both by investors, but but but, but also the real world. But sort of getting back to, to what we were discussing around sort of active management going through a tough, tough period of time. I mean, active managers, you know, they're paid to, to take active decisions. And, and we've had, what, how many years? 10, 12 years of, of money, money printing. We've had the, the COVID supply issues coming through. I mean, presumably it was fairly obvious that we're going to, to end up in, in this type of environment. So you know, what, what have active managers been missing? So you say it's fairly obvious. Yes, the same way that you and I have been saying for how long that the US is going to underperform and uh, turn fair around point, a little bit. Point, well, <laughs> Um, but I think the, the issue is also like it's classic behavioral finance, right? The expectation that a trend will continue and the challenge is that growth investing has been so dominant in the rankings tables for so long and also now dominates the benchmark as we were talking about earlier around the, uh, the index concentrations. So it cre it's created a real headwind for any manager choosing a different approach. Um, and we've seen a number of value shops actually just shutting their doors or possibly worse, actually shifting their stock selection to try and mitigate the losses, which creates a bias in the available opportunity set of strategies for asset owners to invest in. Um, but to be clear, we think it's actually hard for a manager to shift their style based on market rotations or macro events. We don't think that it's easy for a manager to do that or do it well. Uh, Inevitably, they end up chasing performance, they end up one step behind the market um, because of the timing of, of shifting your style and kind of being a shape shifter. Um, so I think 
you know, from that perspective, we think it's better for managers to find what they do well, to have conviction and to stick to that. And also then it helps investors and asset owners understand the role they have in their portfolios and actually understand when they underperform or outperform because they haven't um, changed their stripes or spots, whichever cat you decide to choose. Well, to that point, I would like to point out that mean reversion happens very quickly. And we saw that with the extreme rotation from growth to value in the fourth quarter of last year, as well as the strong rebound in energy that you pointed out, Suzanne. Um, And as the rotation unfolded, value worked very well in the U.S. The speed and magnitude of value's rebound in a very short period of time has led to the outperformance of median managers over the short and longer term periods relative to the Russell 1000 value index. And interestingly enough, you know, based on data from Kenneth Farm's data that goes back to the 70s, value has historically performed very well in inflationary periods. And that is to say, you know, while we, we do not know how much longer value will continue to run, if history were to repeat itself, then the current high inflationary environment that we have today favors value investing. There's been a lot of talk, you know, both of you sort of talking about value and, and growth and the cycles for, for that. Um, is, is there any other exposures, any other discussion around any other sort of factors or, or exposures that, um, that have either done particularly well or, or particularly badly that um, listeners might be, might be keen to hear about? Well, based on the extreme rotation we just saw in the uptake in market volatility, I would say diversification is key. Immersive's equity guiding principles is based on building equity portfolios with broad active exposures, not just to value and growth, but also to quality and momentum. Um, and, And it's equally important to have exposures outside of developed markets, such as emerging markets and onshore China and small caps. Okay, I mean, diversification absolutely, absolutely key, and, and I think, as you say, Victoria, making sure that you you, you you think about your portfolio and ensuring you've got some exposure across those those other factors, which which very much do have academic and and, and empirical support is crucial. I mean, Suzanne, is there any other actions that that, that you think that investors should be taking at this current moment in time? Yeah, a little to my last point and kind of tying in with what Victoria just said around diversification. I can ensure managers are doing the job you ask them to, because if they aren't, then it's really difficult to get the diversification if suddenly they're all changing and doing the same thing. Um, And ask the tough questions in both good and bad times to make sure that they are doing what they should be doing. And then, and then taking a longer term view on on kind of how you've constructed your portfolio of managers um, so that you kind of are understanding how they should behave within within the market uh, environment. Well, I, I would like to add to that, you know, we, we've talked about the index concentration issues. It is likely to lessen, mean reversion to likely normalize. Those are the type of market environments that tend to be conducive for active management. So really now it's not the time to give up. And and rather than timing markets or perhaps chasing returns, I think it's important to build a robust plan lineup with really diversified sources of returns and a very disciplined approach to risk management. That I think it's it's key to good investment outcomes. 
Yeah, I agree. And I'd actually add on to what you've just said, Victoria, around risk management. Like, ensure your portfolio exposures to unrewarded risks is understood and managed. Interestingly, many of the quant managers with their more risk-aware portfolio construction um, fared pretty well through this tougher environment of the past 12 months. So make sure your risk management is appropriate. I'm not saying, and we're not saying, avoid those high-octane strategies, but just understand what you're getting and size them within the portfolio appropriately. Brilliant. Um, so, some, some, some fantastic takeaways there. So please, both of you, interrupt me if, 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 I, if I summarize this incorrectly. So it sounds like there's sort of four key takeaways there. First of all, um, in no particular order, really, um, make sure that you monitor your managers for, for doing exactly what they say they're going to do. Make sure you're also monitoring your, your portfolio and managing for, for, for unrewarded risks. Diversification, diversification, diversification. And don't give up on active management because you know, mean reversion could kick in, as, as you've said, Victoria, um, and is likely to continue. So I want to thank you both for, for joining me today. It's been, it's been a fantastic discussion. Uh, and of course, to, to all our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's episode of Critical Thinking, Critical Issues, please, please do subscribe and leave a review. We also have a short paper that looks to summarise some of the issues that both Victoria and Suzanne have discussed, which I'll leave a link for in the podcast description, but you can also find on the Mercer Insight community. If you'd like to speak to someone here at Mercer, please feel free to reach out to your local Mercer representative or send an email to ctci at mercer.com. Thanks very much. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.